In today's episode, we open in the Bible, yet also one of the most perplexing. God called, but Jonah ran the other way. You know the story. The disobedient prophet was then thrown overboard and swallowed by a great fish. But there's more to Jonah's tale than a big fish story. Today, we'll go overboard with the bitter prophet as we cover chapters 1 and 2. The book begins just as Jonah receives a divine command to preach in Nineveh, but he attempts to thwart God's will by boarding a ship in the opposite direction. His disobedience will result in a fierce storm that threatens to destroy the vessel. Swallowed by a great fish, Jonah spends three agonizing days in its belly praying for deliverance, and we're going to cover all of that today. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Wednesday, October 18th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. You can learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. Well, our guest for this morning to help us open up and unpack the book of Jonah, at least the first half, is the Reverend Thomas Eckstein. He's the pastor of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Good morning, Pastor Eckstein, and welcome to the program. Hey, great to be here. Well, I'm happy to have you here, and especially as we open up a brand new book, and Jonah is a great book. Lots of, uh, gosh, just lots of symbolism and irony and a great message, and uh, it's just, it's obviously a Sunday school favorite. Most people have heard of it, even if they're not Christians or Bible readers, but hopefully we'll be able to unpack some things and reveal some things that maybe they didn't learn in Sunday school today. Exactly. And one thing I love about Jonah, even though this can be assumed in the Old Testament, but Jonah makes it explicit, and that is the the heart of God is is that he wants to save sinners. Uh, You know, he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but wants all to repent and live. And uh, so uh, we we definitely see this heart of God here in Jonah, that that from Genesis to the end of the book of Revelation, we have a God who wants us to come to him uh, in repentance and faith that he might embrace us. So uh, we can look forward to learning about that as we uh, go through Jonah. Absolutely. Well, why don't we go ahead and begin, but if you would start us off with prayer, I'd greatly appreciate it. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and as we prepare to uh, study the book of Jonah, help us first of all to see that in many ways we're like Jonah. Uh, we are guilty of trying to flee from your presence, uh, to think and say and do what we want. But the fact is, we can't flee from your presence. You're the creator of heavens and the earth. Uh, you exist everywhere. Uh, and uh, when we run from you, you seek us out, uh, not to judge us ultimately, but to bring us back to you, that not only we might be forgiven, but that you might work through us to proclaim your message of repentance and forgiveness to others. So as we study this book of Jonah, Lord, help us, uh, like Jonah, uh, to realize that you're seeking us, uh, to repent, to trust your word, and then to see your heart, that you are the God who wants all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, Bless us to this end as we study your word today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I think before we even read one word of Jonah, I'm just going to ask the question, fact or fiction, right? Is Jonah a story of a real event, or is it a symbolic narrative from which we can get a, you know, some sort of inspired tale? What, what do you say, brother? 
Well, you know, when we look at the book of Jonah itself, and, and then also what the rest of Scripture, including the New Testament and Jesus himself says about Jonah, we, we really can come to no other conclusion than it's factual history. In fact, the, the only thing that would even lead some people to question that it was factual history, because it, it reads that way, uh, is that people are, are saying, well, you know, people can't get swallowed by a fish and be in a fish's stomach for three days and then live. Well, uh, yeah, nor, under normal circumstances, right. But uh, when we read through Scripture, uh, God does some things that are beyond our normal experience sometimes. Uh, he's the God who can perform miracles. Uh, the same God who allowed Jonah to be in the belly of the whale uh, for, uh, or, or the fish or whatever creature it was for three days and then survive, uh, the, the same God took on human flesh died on the cross for our sins, was in the tomb, uh, and then came back uh, alive again. In fact, Jesus actually makes a reference to Jonah uh, in, in, to teach about his own death and resurrection. So, um, you know, yes, there's some miraculous stuff going on here, but we have a God who can work miracles. This is the God who spoke creation itself into existence. So uh, bringing back uh, Jonah uh, to the land of the living uh, is not beyond uh, what, what our God can do. And, and so absolutely, we're dealing with fact here, and not just mere fact, because uh, we had a lot, we have a lot of facts, uh, uh, historical facts, but but this is God Himself acting in history, and uh, so uh, we're we're seeing our God at work in in space and time in our history for our salvation when we read Jonah. Yeah, and I've always questioned those who otherwise put their faith, hope, and trust in Christ, and otherwise read most of the Bible as just as it's intended to be read sometimes stumble over some of these miracles of God as if they're somehow more miraculous than the other miracles, or somehow God couldn't or wouldn't do such a thing. So, I mean, we have Jesus, the central tenet of our faith, uh, living, dying, and rising again, not to mention all of the times that he did things like walk on water, calm the storm, water into wine, raised other people from the dead, healed the blind. He does all of these amazing things. And then yet the same people who believe in those things, and rightly so, will look at Jonah and go, well, that's not possible. I just, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we, I agree with you, obviously, wholeheartedly, that this is a story inspired by God. But the word story, I know, has some negative connotations. We could call it an account, uh, an event. It, exactly. it, I do. I, it really happened. And, and I think that its miraculousness really speaks to God's ability to preserve Jonah rather than sowing doubt in our hearts or anything like that. Um, Well, is there anything else you want to sort of lay the foundations for before we read anything from Jonah, or you want me just to head in? I'll I'll follow your lead. Yeah, yeah. There's we got two chapters to go through, so why don't you dive right in? (laughs) Okay, here we go. This is going to be Jonah chapter one from the English Standard Version, beginning with verse one. Now the word of Yahweh came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of Yahweh. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go to them with, I uh, go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of Yahweh. But Yahweh hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, 
and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Okay, that's the first six verses. We'll pause there. Um, even in just, and by the way, these two chapters, although we are doing two, they're pretty short, but they are packed full of great things to talk about. Um, so take us through it, right? We, we just had the first six. Well, first of all, uh, we have the word of the Lord coming to Jonah. So here we see that God has this special relationship with Jonah as one of his prophets. We have other great prophets in the Old Testament. But, but he tells, them, tells Jonah to go to city and call out against it, uh, basically to rebuke them for their evil. Now, we'll find out later why God wants them to do that, and we'll also find out later why Jonah didn't want to go. <laughs> uh, but here we find out that Jonah disobeys God, and he tries to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, I, when I was reading this, I, I got convicted, because uh, what's our initial temptation? Well, that foolish Jonah, uh, who does he think that he can run away from the creator of heaven and earth? You know, God exists everywhere. But then I, I thought to myself, every time we sin, every time we, we, we maybe uh, nurture a, a sinful thought or speak a sinful word or, or do something, uh, in a moment of weakness that we know God doesn't want us to do, uh, whether we admit it or not, we're trying to pretend that we can somehow uh, uh, do something that God won't notice. And, you know, we, I don't know if you've ever heard this story. I remember one time when I was a uh, 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 a teenager, and I was listening to a sermon at a youth event, and, and the pastor simply made this point. He said, you know, uh, we're all guilty of doing things that we're ashamed of, but stop and think for a second. He said, well, would you do those things if Jesus were hanging out with you at the moment? If, if he were actually right with you at the moment, would you do those things? And of course, well, of course not. Of course not. We wouldn't do that. <laughs> and then he says, well, Jesus is with you always. You might not see him, but he's with you always. And of course, wow, that can convicts us immediately. And yet I needed this reading from Jonah to remind me, I, I'm really no better than Jonah when I sin, because deep down we're playing this game that somehow we can maybe get away with things and maybe God won't notice. No, he notices anything, everything. There's no place we can flee where he is not there. And, uh, and even though this should convict us immensely uh, for our foolishness, yet we have a God who seeks us out in grace. He, he seeks us out not only that we might receive his forgiveness, but that he might use us to bring his word to others that they too might know his salvation. But uh, that was one big thing I noticed here. You know, Jonah is attempting to flee from God's presence. But as you, we can see in the rest of the verses through verse 6, it doesn't work. He can't flee from God's presence. Uh, God seeks him out in the form of bringing up a big storm uh, on the boat uh, that he uh, uh, booked passage on, with the result that, that all the uh, other uh, sailors who apparently are unbelievers worshiping false gods, you know, they even go to Jonah and say, Jonah, cry out to your God. Maybe he'll save us. And, and right. that's where we're at at this point. <laughs> Yeah, all hands on deck, right? We're crying out to our gods. You're down here sleeping. So, yeah, you know, and I think that applicability to not just you and me as pastors, but to all Christians is a point that's sometimes overlooked. When we tell the story, we tell the story of, look at Jonah and how he disobeyed God or ran from God. 
Uh, and so we obviously have to apply that to our own lives. We have to remember the times that we run from God's will for our lives. And I love that story yeah. you told about Jesus being with you. In fact, that's what I often use. That example is what I often use to talk about how I think we're a little too simplistic, we Lutherans, when we talk about law and gospel in the Bible. You know, when we're teaching our confirmands, I don't do this, but I know a lot of pastors do. It's a good exercise to give them lists of Bible verses and tell them to mark a little L for law and a little G for gospel. And of course, we get to pick the verses and make it nice and simple. But there are some verses that really it's the Holy Spirit who gets to decide whether something's law or gospel. And that idea, that idea of Jesus being with you, you know, Jesus says, lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Well, is that law or gospel? Well, it's gospel <laughs> if you're relying on Christ for your salvation. But it's law if you remember that, yeah, just as you said earlier, Jesus is always with you. He knows your sins. Um, <laughs> yes. So even that exactly. can be law. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's both and. And, uh, and. and, you know, what we have to remember is that even though it definitely is law, God's law is always in service to his gospel. So when, when, when he scares us, and it is, you know, the, the idea that, oh, I, I've been sitting here thinking I can do this behind God's back, and he knows what's going on the whole time. Man, that's scary. But then God brings us to our knees precisely that he might lift us up by his grace. And that's we'll see that reason. as we go through Jonah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Now, we're not going to get to what his message is until, well, tomorrow in chapter 3, but, you know, we can, you know, tell people what it is. The message is pretty simple. He has to go and tell them, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So we'll talk a minute about why he's running away, but it's actually quite, aside from disobeying God, it's quite logical from a human perspective. I mean, he's being told by God, go into enemy territory and tell them that they're going to be destroyed, of course, unless they repent. Um, but Jonah runs from that, and I love, and I know I'm sure you picked up on this too and probably have taught it many times, but I love the imagery, and I tried to emphasize it when I read it, that God comes to Jonah and says, Arise, go to Nineveh. And then Jonah rose to flee. And then from that moment... It's all downhill, quite literally. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, and he went down to Joppa. And he paid the fare, and he went down with them to Tarshish, toward Tarshish. And then the Lord hurled a great wind, and, well, what happened? Well, they were afraid. Where was Jonah? Well, he had gone down no. into the inner part of the ship. And he yeah. laid down, and he was asleep. And so the, the captain says, what are you doing? And it just makes you wonder— is Jonah going to go down even further as he tries to flee from God? Well, we, of course, we kind of know what happens next, but uh, yeah. we're going to get to that. But yeah, so all hands on deck, Jonah, you keep going farther and farther and farther away from your God. You know, if, if God is up, then Jonah needs to go down, and that's what he's doing. But as yeah. you so rightly pointed out, there's nowhere that we can escape God. Uh, but God's not evil. He's not wicked. He's not out for our destruction. And that's what Jonah's missing. Yes. And of course, I'm not going to steal the thunder from the next program. But, you know, the first question is, well, why didn't Jonah want to go there? You know, and our first thought might be, well, you know, boy, he may, may have been scared, you know, go, go to this the pagan city that was known for horrible atrocities and tell them to repent, you know, maybe they would kill the messenger. You know, that might be our initial thought. But as we're going to whet people's appetites here, we're going to find out later, uh, as you get into Jonah's chapter three and four, that wasn't Jonah's reason for not going there. <laughs> it was actually a little more sinister. And uh, but yet uh, God uses that to, to show us his grace all the more. 
it was more sinister. I don't want to discount the fear at all, though. I mean, it, there was fear, but right. Jonah's a bitter guy, <laughs> and we're that's going to yeah. come out as we go through. But there is a little essence to it of, and again, just trying to draw from current events, um, it would be like someone saying, hey, I need you to go into Gaza and tell them all to repent. <laughs> I don't see many Israelis volunteering to do that. They say, well, you know, we might, well, okay, I could, well, I'm not going to get into that. But the point is, you know, um, when you have long set enemies, there builds within your heart hardness, hostility. And of course, you know, you're not, we're going to find out that Jonah's not too concerned about them repenting. In fact, he's not really happy about it at all. But, but I think there's fear there too, because it's like, well, well sure. gosh, I, I don't, I don't want to go and, 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 enemy territory, but yeah, absolutely. That will definitely come out more. So, yeah. So the, the, so what's I think fascinating too, is we have going kind of back to the beginning a little bit. We have Jonah, the son of Amittai. Amittai is his dad's name, but it also means truth or faithfulness. Um, obviously we, you name people after uh, positive qualities, you know, there's people named Grace and Rose and, and patience and, and just all kinds of, you know, beautiful imagery. And so that's no doubt why Amittai was named those things. But it still is a little interesting how Jonah is the son of truth or the son of faithfulness. And yet here he is not being truthful with himself or faithful to God. Right, exactly. And, and it just shows us that, you know, uh, if we trust in ourselves, uh, we're setting ourselves up for a major failure. I think of what Paul says in First Corinthians, you know, take heed ye who think you stand, lest you fall. You know, um, you know, uh, we, we might think, we, 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 boy, I'm, I'm raised Missouri Synod Lutheran, I know my doctrine, you know, I, I've lived a good life, you know, um, you know I, I, I'm going to always be faithful for God. Well, the best of us can fall. Uh, but the good news is that, that God still seeks us out and, and brings us back. And just, you know, we've just got done with Joshua, so we've been doing a lot of looking at maps. But if you were to have a map, you would notice that where he's going to, he should be going up toward Nineveh, which is sort of, I guess, northeast of where right. he's at. But instead, he is heading very far west. I mean, we're talking way past Italy, all the way into Spain. I mean, right. he is literally trying to get as far away from not just God in his both physical and symbolic downward movement, but also, I don't know, maybe he thinks the farther I get, God will think, well, that it's not it's not worth that you're not the closest guy anymore or something. You know? right. We can't read right. his mind, but yeah. And also, we, again, like you said, we can't read his mind. But part of me is thinking, did, did Jonah have a lapse uh, of of properly understanding who God is. Now, later, as you're going to read, he, he does tell the, the other sailors, you know, uh, my God is the one who created everything. But, but was he tempted to think of God like one of the many, many local pagan deities? You know, uh, the, the, uh, the pagans had their gods, but these gods had local influence. So if you wanted to get rid of your God, you just, you know, moved. <laughs> and uh, it was Jonah making the mistake of thinking that Yahweh was the same way. Uh, who knows? But, but uh, as we learned in this, uh, no, God is not a local pagan deity with limited geographical influence. He's the creator of geography. <laughs> He's the creator of the heavens and the earth and the seas. And there's nowhere we can go where he isn't. 
Right. No one can hide from God, not even in hell, right? We think of Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. So whether you identify that with hell or place of the dead or whatever, there's nowhere you can go to get away from God. So Jonah is making his downward movement. And I, I, I don't know, I kind of like the way it's translated here. What do you mean, you sleeper? <laughs> it's like, you lazy guy. You know, arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Starting again with verse 7. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Well, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh because he had told them. So let's pause there. I love how the, these sailors, they've taken on this stranger. Obviously, he's paid them to do that. And then this bad thing happens. They draw lots. And I think this is fascinating because it falls on Jonah. And I don't know that we're told, but I don't know. Do you think that gives the suggestion that God directed the lots in his way? Or is it just bad luck for Jonah? Or what do you think? Well, I really think that, you know, uh, who knows? Maybe they even thought their God their own false gods were controlling these lots. But I, you know, God can work through our foolishness sometimes. And I really believe that God worked through this uh, to get the attention on Jonah, because as you know, God has some plans here. And you know exactly what these lots looked like. Did they put everybody's name in a hat and show some? I don't know what happened. But but whatever they did, uh, God used that to, to to bring their attention on Jonah. And it's interesting when they confront him, Jonah fesses up. You know, he doesn't deny anything. And uh, 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 he actually tells them about the God he serves. And at this point, now, again, I don't know how much these sailors knew about Yahweh, if anything. But, but here Jonah says, uh, not only do I fear Yahweh, but he's the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Yeah. Uh, an echo of Genesis here. And that's another important thing. You study ancient Near Eastern religions, there's lots of different false gods. But, but in a lot of these religions, the universe itself is eternal, and the gods themselves had a beginning. But here, you know, Jonah's saying, no, uh, this is the creator. He's the one who, you know, the, 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 this ocean that's about to drown us all, he's the one who made the ocean and the dry lands. He's the creator. And uh, 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 apparently that really impresses them because <laughs> they, 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 they respond that Jonah should, you know, as we're going to see in a bit, they want him to cry out to his God exclusively uh, after what he tells them about him. This brings up a point that we've talked about on the show before, and that is with the pagans, they have no problem putting Yahweh on the shelf next to all their other gods. And I think right. that can be really confusing for folks because they're like, well, hey, they believe in the one true God. Well, I kind of, but they don't believe he is the one true God. Um, I do think, and if I could be a little cynical, I'm a little facetious too. I think uh, um, Jonah makes a rookie mistake here by identifying his God as the God who made the sea. Now, he, because it's the sea that's causing them problems. So I think that made them also 
lift up prayers. You're absolutely right. You know, God who created all things would have been a, a fairly, I guess, foreign concept to a lot of these pagans. So we know God as the one who created all things. In fact, that's kind of how you know who's God. You know, if, if you can answer the question, did you make all the things and you say yes, then good news, you're God. But right. he says, and I think this is an honest confession. I'm not being uh, disparaging on his confession. You, you're right. It connects us right to Genesis. But I wonder if those sailors said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You worship the God of the sea? Okay, okay. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, well, right. you've done something then because it's the sea and the storms. That's what's causing us the problem. But they knew. They knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh, it says, well, because he had told them, right? He goes, I'm told fleeing them. from my God. And, yeah. and they may not have believed him, his, him as the only God, but they certainly believed that God's had power to do what was happening. In fact, I found it interesting. You know, uh, let's say they, uh, you know, they had only known about their false gods that had beginnings, let's say. And then they hear that Jonah's God, and you're right, I, I think, uh, uh, especially, you know, uh, they're they hearing about Yahweh for the first time, they probably would have had no problem including Yahweh along with their pantheon of other gods. But if they heard from Jonah that the particular God I worship isn't just one local deity who had a beginning, no, he's the creator of everything. And so they, they might be thinking, oh, his God is even greater than ours then. And you're right. And boy, if he actually made the sea, well, then we need to focus on this Yahweh guy because <laughs> he's the one that can maybe turn this situation around. You know, and I have some people who ask me, and this is just a little bit of an aside, on why I translate the Lord, L-O-R-D, which is on caps, to Yahweh. And, and most people understand that that's how it is in the original, and it's they know the reasons why for the most part. But the reason I translate it is for two reasons. One, so that you know over the air which times it's saying the word Yahweh and which times it's saying just the word Lord. But this is also another example because the gods were often known by their locations and they all had names. And to even know the name of a god is to have the ability to call upon them. And so yes. I think it's important that when the Hebrews or really anybody else is testifying to the one true God, they are using his name, and they are able to call upon him through this witness, hopefully uh, rightly so. But I also notice that he refers to himself as a Hebrew, and if I'm not mistaken, that's typically how they would introduce themselves to foreigners uh, as opposed to, say, an Israelite. Um, I'm not sure right. if you uh, ran across anything like that. Yes. I mean, uh, you know, the, the Israelite, you know, the, obviously that was a special name that God gave them. It started with, with uh, Jacob. You know, he renamed him Israel. So this, you know, um, uh, which, you know, scholars debate, is it, is it uh, struggles with God or even submits to God? There's good argument for that. But it was a special uh, enduring name that God gave to his people, whereas Hebrew would have been, would have been more of an ethnic name that people would have known them by. But uh, one thing before we go on, I don't want to take us too far off track here, but the, the, the very name Yahweh, which means I am that I am, I, I find that uh, that's such an interesting way for God to refer to himself, because most names, uh, whether you're naming your gods or just naming yourself, uh, uh, we don't get this in our culture so much, but back then, names had meanings. It describes something about you. Well, what's interesting, way back when Moses says, God, you know, when they ask me what your name is, what should I tell them? God says, I am who I am. It, it's almost like he doesn't answer Moses' question. You know, rather than right. giving him a name with specific details about who God is, he just says, I am, I am. 
I'm, I, I, I'm the God who I am, and I don't want you putting me in a box. I don't want you writing my job description and saying this is what you must be like. Uh, the God who says I am that I am is, is a God that's beyond our comprehension, and he's going to show us what he's like. And, and one thing I love about the God who says I am that I am is that he ends up finally showing us that he's a God unlike any other God in that he wants to have mercy on his enemies. That's something as unbelievers we would never have expected from our false gods. The, uh, all the false gods of the pagans need to be appeased. But the God who says I am who I am, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm the God who wants to have mercy on sinners. Well, and he does want to have mercy on Nineveh, and we're going to see more of the fallout, but it'll have to wait till after these messages. So folks, don't go anywhere. Pastor Eckstein and I will pick back up where we left off when we come back. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me this morning is the Reverend Thomas Eckstein. He's the pastor of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Now, if you have any feedback or questions, or maybe you have your own perspective to share on Jonah or anything else we discuss, don't hesitate to reach out. Of course, you're always welcome to call into the studio when we're live. We'll put you and your question on the air. You can call 1-800-730-2727, or you can reach me via email at pastorboo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook. Just search for Phil Boo. But we have quite a bit to cover, so we're going to head right back to our text. Now, brother, before the break, you know, we were just getting into, well, a lot of things, but among them, the irrationality of sin, the idea that Jonah can run away from God is just as foolish as when we think that our sins are hidden from God. And here we have pagans who in some ways respect Jonah's God more than Jonah himself. Jonah's quick to confess him, but who's the one who actually believes that God could do something to save them. Well, it's the pagans. I think that's pretty ironic. Yes, it is. And uh, as you go on here, we're going to see that they're reluctant to do what Jonah suggests. Uh, but when, when they finally give in, they, they do it reluctantly. Uh, God then works through this whole plan to do some amazing things. Let's read it, starting with verse 11. Then they said to him, well, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. 
for I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to Yahweh, O Yahweh, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Yahweh, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared Yahweh exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. All right, stopping there at the end of 16. So the men, first of all, just what happens next is kind of amazing. I mean, not super amazing in the context of them just adding him to their shelf, but just in the sort of the cosmic sense where you have a prophet who has a special relationship with God, as you've already said, running away from God. And now I, I hope you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, God doesn't tell him to jump into the sea. I've always seen this as simply Jonah saying, you know what? I'm going to try to get even farther away from God. I'm just, just throw me into the ocean. I'll go down, 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 down. I, he assumes he'll die. And then that way he doesn't have to, I guess, do what the Lord's calling him to do. I, I don't know. It just seems that it's the irrationality of it coming. Oh, right. Uh, how do you see it? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that's a possibility. Again, we, we can't, uh, we, we don't have a window into Jonah's mind right now. Hey, you know, sure. it could be how you said, or may, maybe there's just overwhelming guilt here. It's like, wow, I ran from God, and now these guys are going to die in addition to me disobeying God. You know, maybe the only solution is to give me what I deserve and throw me over. You know, and maybe uh, if, if that was his case, maybe there was a little bit of, of redeeming character there that he was trying to lay down his life for these other guys. Um, uh, and whether God told Told Jonah to do this or not, we don't know. Uh, was this Jonah's idea, or did God actually tell Jonah, you know, to, uh, tell them to throw you into the sea? We don't know. But in any case, when Jonah says this, um, initially they, they don't do it. They have this idea that, well, it wouldn't be right to kill. Uh, uh, it's inter- inter- interesting. They, they pray to Yahweh and say, don't hold us accountable for innocent blood. And uh, it's almost, even though they know Jonah is guilty of running from Yahweh, they, 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 they have the humility to realize, hey, um, he's no better, he's no worse than us. You know, it wouldn't be right for us to, to just throw this guy over. And that, this shows me that even though these are pagans, this is a good example. Now, whether they knew about the Ten Commandments or not, my guess is no. But, but the Bible says that the law of God is written on our hearts. So deep down somewhere, they knew that it's not right to just murder people. <laughs> you know, you, you shouldn't uh, just kill somebody so that uh, it can go better for you. And, and, and so that at least they have this conviction in their hearts that, that says something about the Holy Spirit working on them already. And, um, and so the, their initial uh, plan is to, well, well, we'll row harder. Maybe that will be the solution. Of course, it doesn't work. So finally, Jonah convinces them to throw him over. And they do. And uh, then, uh, of course, what happens next is very interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. They, uh, Verse 16, they feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh, to God, the God of Jonah, and made vows. So again, how much did they understand? Did they still believe their false gods were real? Who knows? But here they were focused uh, 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 exclusively on Yahweh and actually made vows to him. Now, what their vows were, we don't know. But here we see that, that, that they were brought much closer to the one true God and actually put their faith in him. I mean, even if they're just sort of taking their own pagan rituals and applying them to Yahweh, 
you still see here them being far more reverent to Yahweh than Jonah is. And because we know that by the end, Jonah doesn't really want to go to the Ninevites because he really doesn't want them to repent. He doesn't, he wants them to be punished and judged. Um, so rewinding back now to here, we can see that, look, they are being far more compassionate to Jonah than really Jonah is being to the people to whom God called him to, you know, bring this warning. So, so they're also showing compassion. I think that should remind us as Christians in this life who's surrounded by heathens, pagans, non-believers, whatever term you want to use them, differently believing people, that that just because they don't yet, and that's the word we should use, don't yet believe in the one true God, doesn't make them automatically like these evil, wicked people, right? The, as you said, the law of God's written on their heart, and, and that's where we can start with folks. Now, Jonah isn't meaning to, but he's inadvertently bringing the the word of the Lord to these pagans <laughs> just by yeah. his actions. Or I should be more accurate. The Lord is using Jonah's obstinance to continue to proclaim his glory, but but still, still. And finally, the interesting, you know, e- even though the, 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 the ultimate flow of the book of Jonah is that God wants to, to bring his salvation to the Ninevites, here he used Jonah to bring salvation to these pagan sailors. So here we, we have the mission of God going on even before Jonah gets to Nineveh. Uh, he, he, he works through rebellious Jonah to uh, bring the, the truth about the, the one true God to these pagan sailors. So, so you know, it's just amazing how uh, in, in the most unlikely of situations, God can open doors for us to be witnesses to him. And that brings up a good point, something that, again, we're not going to be able to answer, but we might be able to speculate for half a second on, and that is people say, well, did these people now become, you know, devoted followers of Yahweh? We see the term fear the Lord or fear Yahweh. Uh, That term occurs six times in this chapter, verses 2 and 4 and 10 and 12. So so we see here that... um, Fear of the Lord is obviously an important theme. Does this mean that they were full converts? They threw all their other gods in the garbage can? Well, I'm going to speculate and say probably not. Right. But, but, you know, sometimes the the path to God is a journey, right? I mean, there's people in your life who who they do believe in God. They now honor and respect him, but it's going to be a little while before they can kick everything. This is why I think we see in Jesus and his ministry how patient he was toward people. He certainly corrected people's errors, but not all of them. You know, he didn't walk up to the woman at the well and just sort of rattle off everything that she was wrong about, and he could have, but he focused on that which would, frankly, get her attention and plant that seed. Yeah, that's why, and I always pray for wisdom in this regard as a pastor, but as a pastor, I have to treat people uh, on an individual basis. The, the way I deal with a Christian who knows all the jot and tittles of God's Word and then rebels against it, I'm going to deal with that person differently than someone who is clueless about the Christian faith. And I think right now I, I have this wonderful opportunity. There, there's a gentleman that started coming to our church. Uh, he had somewhat of a Christian background, um, but uh, married a, a, an unbeliever, an atheist, and um, this woman started coming to church with him, 
and uh, I, I start, was interested in learning more. And so I'm, I'm meeting with them one-on-one, this couple. And I had to start with from absolute bare one. This, this person was not raised to know about Christianity or the Bible at all. So I'm starting from square one. And uh, we've gotten, the Lord has gotten this woman to the point where she acknowledges that there is a God, there is a creator. Um, and and she's. I've explained the Trinity thing a little bit to her. And uh, she said, yeah, that's hard to understand. I said, yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> right, but right. the point is, there's a lot of stuff she doesn't know yet. So I'm going to have to be very patient with her on this journey. And, and, and that's the beautiful thing. God, he meets us where we're at. And then once he brings us to faith in him, we have a lot of growing and learning to do the rest of our lives. And uh, I, and I think that would be the case here. These men, did, did they understand everything uh, uh, that they needed to? By no means. But but we hope and pray that God opened up opportunities for them to grow and to learn his word and, and uh, to, to continue to learn uh, about the truth of God so that they could discern truth from error more clearly as the years went by. Well, speaking of God meeting us where we're at, where Jonah is at is in the sea. And, well, he's going to meet at least uh, an appointment from God there. Picking up with verse 17. And Yahweh appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to Yahweh his God from the belly of the fish, saying, quote, I called out to Yahweh out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Yahweh my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered Yahweh, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. Verse 10. And Yahweh spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. And that ends our text for today. So Jonah's tossed into the sea, and now we get to talk about, <laughs> briefly, whether it was a whale or a fish or what. <laughs> What, yeah. what's, what say ye, right? We always think of Jonah and the whale. The whale, uh, right. Yeah. What, what do you think? Well, you, you know, you hear modern people who know something about marine creatures, and they'll argue that a lot of whales actually have small mouths. They have baleen. They wouldn't actually be able to swallow something that size. So some people think it was maybe a big shark or something. We don't know what the creature was. What we do know it was that it was capable of swallowing Jonah, and that should be good enough for us. And uh, But the other important thing is... is um, People wondered, did Jonah actually survive this? Uh, was he conscious for these three days? Or did he actually die, and did God bring him back to life? I'm going to go with the latter, that he actually died, and I'll explain why. And I'll, maybe I'm wrong, but I'll, I'll argue my point. First from a practical, but then a theological level. First of all, if some big shark swallows me, and I go into its stomach, and I'm in there for three days, I just have a hard time practically believing I could survive that. 
you know, uh, I, I, I'm probably going to suffocate. Who knows what the acids in the shark stomach are going to do to me? And then what, what, what if the shark goes way deep down in the water? I have all, all, you know, the, the, the weight of, of compression, all this stuff. Uh, I'm thinking Jonah realizes, okay, my time is short now. And I'm thinking, you know, he, he, in his last few minutes of life, he says a prayer. And I think to myself, boy, if, if some sh- shark or some other creature swallows me and I'm in their stomach being digested, and I know I only have a few minutes to live, in my last few minutes, I'm probably going to be saying some pretty serious prayers, because okay? <laughs> I realize my yeah. life is short. So that would be the first reason, you know, pr- out of practicality. But the second reason when Jesus refers to Jonah as a comparison, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days, three nights, I will be in the belly of the earth and then come back to life. Well, what happened to Jesus? He didn't swoon. It's not like they put him in the tomb and he was still conscious. No, Jesus actually literally died. He stopped breathing. His heart stopped. And uh, and then God brought him back to life. And so uh, I, because of Jesus' comparison there, I really do believe Jonah died. But in God's miraculous way, uh, we know God is, you know, both Old and New Testament, he brought other people back to life. So I really believe Jonah was swallowed. He knew he probably only had a, a few minutes to live. He said this prayer. I believe he actually died. But then the Lord heard his prayer and Three days later, commanded the fish to vomit Jonah out, and God brought him back to life. That's that's what I believe happened. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting perspective. It's one, actually, I've never heard before and haven't really contemplated. I, I will say, you know, in terms of what the fish was, you know, the, they're not using the same terms that we use. Um, God could have—I'm just going to throw this out there—he could have created a creature just for this purpose. So that's sure. another thing that we can consider. But— Turning to your more much more interesting point about you know whether Jonah survived this in the sense that he's just hanging out in the belly of a whale, I, I do like the connection to Jesus. Jesus himself makes that connection, so that's pretty easy. Just as Jonah was in the belly of this great fish for three days and God brought him out, Jesus would be in the belly of the grave for three days, and of course God brings him out on Easter morning. Uh, God, Jesus though is active during those three days, right? He's descent into hell. So right. there's there's sort of that too, um, but I, I think either perspective, whether God is preserving Jonah despite the pressure and the stomach acid and everything else, which is possible, or whether Jonah died and then was resurrected, uh, which also preaches, right? It preaches great. Uh, I don't think yeah. we're 100% sure, but both are worthy of consideration because both point to God's providence. God is the one yeah. doing the saving. Whether he's dead in the belly of the great fish or whether he's just really uncomfortable and and he's just grateful that the fish saved him, because that's some perspectives, right? They say, you know, in Jonah's prayer, he's thanking God because the fish has saved him from drowning. And then, of course, vomits him out. Now, that's, again, another perspective. I think right. regardless— the point is that Jonah could not have saved himself from death. He could exactly. even his even his com- little bit of compassion that says throw me overboard and you guys will be okay. That's still in some ways a cowardice move where he's wanting to just get farther from God. So Jonah right. can't rescue himself. Of course Jesus does. But yeah, so I think that's a beautiful illustration and something that I'm going to have to really ponder on because I've never heard that. Yeah, and I think you make a very good point, though. Um, whether we go with the idea that Jonah stayed alive and God just preserved him, or Jonah died and God brought him back to life, either way, it's God's miraculous provision uh, that he uses here. And uh, it's very interesting how um, sometimes God has to bring us low 
And I guess you can't get much more low than being in the belly of a fish. But God has to bring us to our knees sometimes before uh, we have to come to the end of ourselves before we realize that that God is our all in all. And, and, And even if Jonah... Is, is is thinking he's going to die. He, he he believes that there's hope beyond death. You know, he, he believes, he says, you know, uh, I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. Uh, what I have vowed, I will pay. You know, and I can't help but think of Jonah saying, God, you know, uh, bring me out of this and I, I will do what you want me to do. Of course, uh, you'll find out he doesn't end up doing that. Um, but but here we definitely see that that God can can take us uh, in the darkest of situations and give us hope. And when you think about it, we all have to face uh, the belly of the whale. Uh, let's just assume Jonah did die. We all have to face that point in our life where our life is going to end. Our heart's going to stop. We're going to stop breathing. And yet, Along with Jonah, we, we can believe that we're going to be able to worship God again uh, uh, among the living, you know, and, uh, and uh, so, uh, you know, we can face death itself, uh, knowing that God will bring us up from Sheol, because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And uh, so not only does God preserve Jonah's uh, physical life in this world, but, but gives him hope for eternity, and then, of course, uses him to bring uh, hope to Nineveh, which you're going to get into uh, when you finish the rest of the book. Right. Well, and Jesus' comparison uh, of himself uh, to Jonah is really fascinating uh, and, and worth some a little bit of attention while we get a little bit closer to the end of the program. But still, I just want to read from Matthew 12, 38 and following. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, spoiler alert, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So, so many people want God to continuously prove himself over and over right. and over again. And Jesus just tells them, you know what? Look to Jonah. And and you're right. Remember, Jesus, we asked about fact or fiction at the beginning. Well, Jesus says the people of Nineveh are going to be in the resurrection. Yeah. So, obviously, it's true. Uh, I believe Jesus. I think that's worthy of consideration. And any Christian out there who doesn't believe in Jesus has to examine themselves. But anyway, back to the main text. He then quotes from um, a little bit from the Psalms, too, but I think at the same time, this is all obviously his words, and he is, you know, praising. It's, a, it's, it's really a thanksgiving. But what do you have to say about the fact, and maybe I'm miss it, missing it, but it doesn't seem like he's very repentant, just thankful for the rescue. Does, does, do you see that, or am I missing it? Right. I mean, again, it's hard to know what was going on in his heart. You're, you're right. He doesn't explicitly say, oh, I'm so sorry I disobeyed you and fled from you. Um, but uh, there, there is this implicit thing, what, have I, what, what I have vowed I will pay uh, and salvation belongs to the Lord. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I read that as, as though Juno is thinking, boy, I, I blew it when I tried to flee from the presence of the Lord. So I, you know, in my in a final breaths here, if I'm going to die, you know, I, 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 God, if you bring me back to life, I will do what you ask me to do. Now, whether he was thinking that explicitly here, who knows? But, but at the very least, 
we know that he's crying out to God for salvation and that, that he wants to continue to be a living voice for God uh, to praise him uh, rather than simply going to Sheol and, and, and dying. And um, uh, one last thing before we finish this, because you brought up a really good point. You know, uh, uh, when you read from Matthew, a sinful generation asks for a sign. I think of people today, you know, who will say, well, if, if I'm going to believe in your Jesus, he, he can just open the heavens and show himself to me, you know, uh, uh, you know, asking for concrete evidence. And the, the same evidence God gave the, the, the uh, people of Jesus' generation, he's given to us, Jesus rose from the dead. And, and again, like, like Paul says, uh, or, or was it Paul or Peter, I can't remember, in the book of Acts, where he says, this hasn't happened in a corner, meaning hundreds of people were witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus stayed on the earth 40 days after he rose from the dead. He was saw by multiple people on multiple occasions. So this didn't happen in a corner. This was um, one of the more well eyewitness attested facts in history. So God has given us a sign, and for us to demand another sign in addition to the one that he's already given us is indeed sinful. So uh, whether it's the, the, the Jews of Jesus' day or people today who are demanding a sign from God in addition to the one he's given us, uh, we need to repent of that. Amen to that, brother. Well, we are right here at the end of the program, so the last few thoughts are certainly uh, yours to make. Um, there's lots of good stuff to come. Jonah's a short book. It's only four chapters. We're gonna we're gonna finish it up tomorrow. Uh, but anything else you want to leave the people with before we wrap up the first two chapters? Yeah, some really good news. The, the the first words of Jonah's prayer: "I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and He answered me." You know, uh, when we uh, face hard times in life and and death itself, boy, nothing seems more final than death. The idea of putting your body in the ground. But here we see that our God is the God of the living, and, and death has been defeated through Jesus. As believers in Jesus, we can face death, crying out to the Lord in our distress, knowing that he will answer us uh, with the hope of the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. Amen to that. And with those great words, we're going to go ahead and say goodbye to our guest. It's been the Reverend Thomas Eckstein, pastor of Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota, regular contributor to the show, but always an excellent one. Thanks, Pastor, for being on the program. Yeah, my privilege. Thank you. And as I said, tomorrow we'll finish up with Jonah uh, with chapters three and four. After his ordeal at sea, Jonah's going to finally obey God's command and preach repentance in Nineveh. And to his surprise, the wicked city heeds his words and turns from evil, sparking widespread repentance. But instead of rejoicing, Jonah becomes angry with God for relenting in judgment against Nineveh. There's lots to talk about, but when God explains how his compassion extends even to the evil Ninevites, Jonah is going to, well, remain stubbornly displeased over the fate of his shade plant. You can learn more about that tomorrow. It's great. Um, so we're going to talk about that and more. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.